Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we're continuing our focus on the arts in our Vital Signs report throughout the month of November. We'll be joined by Andrew Balfour, the Artistic Director of Camerata Nova, and we'll be discussing the vocal group's upcoming season of concerts. We'll also hear from Jim Lapp, the ED of L'Arche Winnipeg. We'll learn more about how L'Arche is making known the gifts of people with intellectual disabilities. Then we'll speak with the Executive Director of the Selkirk and District Community Foundation, Bev Clegg. She'll tell us all about Selkirk's Foundation and how they'll be taking part in this year's Endow Manitoba 24-hour giving challenge this coming Saturday. Then we'll hear how Indigenous youth are improving their math and science skills from Robert Hamilton, one of the co-directors of the Indigenous Summer Math Camp at the University of Winnipeg's Wichawakanak Learning Centre. We'll also hear from Karen Joseph, the CEO of Reconciliation Canada and one of the keynote speakers at The Gathering, where she spoke on the subject of reconciliation. And as always, we'll be speaking with Noah Ehrenberg about This Week in Winnipeg through the lens of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's citizen journalism project. All this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. As you could tell by the intro, we have a lot of stuff to get to today, Robert. There's a whole bunch of people coming in. We've got a couple uh, phone interviews set up, so uh, there's a lot of conversations to happen and a lot of stories to tell today. Um, the first thing, we're going to be continuing our Vital Signs Report. November has been, uh, we've been focusing on the arts and our second installment of the Vital Signs Report is going to be featuring Camerata Nova. We're going to be joined in studio by Andrew Balfour, their artistic director, right after our first song. But uh, why don't we get to a song, Robert? Absolutely. And seeing as how it's just after eight o'clock in the morning, for those of you listening live to us here on 93.7 CJNU, How about we start off with Wake the Town and Tell the People, Les Baxter, right here on River City 360. Wake the town and tell the people, sing it to the moon above. Wake the town and tell the people, tell them that I'm so in love. Let's begin the celebration Let's declare a holiday Send the wedding invitations To the neighbors right away When I am close to you And my heart Dancing with delight I want the world to see Heaven's in my arms tonight Shout it from the highest steeple Ring the bells the whole night through Wake the town and tell the people Tell them I'm in love with you
his people Ring the bells the whole night through Wake the town and tell the people Next year on River City 360, we'll be bringing you stories connected to the themes of Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017, a program led by the Winnipeg Foundation that measures the vitality of our community through research and surveys. For more information, visit wpgfdn.org slash vital signs. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning and we are now joined by Andrew Balfour. He's the Artistic Director of Camerata Nova. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Camerata Nova is described as, quote, a vocal group without fear. What is Camerata Nova for people who maybe aren't familiar with the group and what can people expect to hear at a Camerata Nova concert? Camerata Nova is a vocal chamber ensemble. Uh, we've been around for 20 years. Um, we are a group that likes to explore, to try new things, to approach music differently. And I think that if you come to one of our concerts, there's, there's something in it for, for anybody. Quirkiness, eccentric, uh, outstanding musicianship, um, great artistic ideas. We're quite a collective of, of, uh, of creative people, so I really believe that uh, we're kind of cutting edge, I would like to think. As artistic director, what is your role at Camerata Nova? My role is to oversee the general feeling of artistic endeavors, to work with our co-conductors, our curators of each concert, to work out and flesh out uh, ideas and music, and to take that to the board of directors and uh, work with the board and the organization to make these uh, sometimes very uh, off-the-wall and ec uh, eccentric ideas come to fruition. Now, when you say vocal group, is it mainly compositions that are a cappella, or are there some that also have instrumentation? Oh, we, we do quite a bit of stuff a cappella, but we also do quite a few things with in instrumentation. We started out as an a cappella group. Uh, mostly we were interested in the, in the repertoire from the 16th century, so we'd be singing a lot of Renaissance and early Baroque music, but we've moved on to, uh, to other uh, style periods, and uh, even last year we were doing klezmer music, and we do music with uh, jazz musicians and what have you, so we're quite over the board sometimes. Camerata Nova's been performing for over 20 years now. Mm -hmm. How did the group all get started? We started uh, in the late 90s. Um, myself and, f and uh, five other uh, singers wanted to, we were out of university and we wanted to continue singing, so we decided we loved this repertoire, as I mentioned, the Renaissance repertoire. And we decided to meet uh, informally in our living room, drink a little bit of wine, eat some pretzels, and, and, uh, and sing through music. So it kind of started in those early rather amateur ways to where we are right now so it's very exciting very cool so it was kind of a grassroots just a bunch of friends coming together and then it became something bigger it did and i think a lot of the groups like that do start, start out that way so we still have a very very close-knit uh, group but we're quite overwhelmed by, by the organization these days in a good way 
How do singers become part of the group? I would imagine that there have been maybe some who have joined up and some who have departed throughout the 20 years. How do people get involved? We usually have auditions at the beginning of the year. A lot of it is word of mouth. One of our co-directors is a professor at the University of Manitoba, Mel Braun. So he has a large opera uh, and vocal studio. So uh, we get a lot of university students these days. I think we figured out last year in our 20th year anniversary that we had had something like 88 singers come through our group. And that's that's pretty good because our membership is usually to 14 singers a year. So it's, uh, it's a pretty small chamber ensemble. So uh, we're very fortunate enough to have some excellent singers come through our choir in the last couple of years. There are three shows that are scheduled for the 2016-2017 season. One that's coming up in a couple of weeks, which I'll get to in a moment. But I want to talk about Taken. And that one premieres in 2017 and incorporates Indigenous music. Mm. Tell us about some of the compositions that are part of that program. This is a very exciting and thought-provoking concert. It kind of uh, delves into some uh, very heavy issues involving First Nations people, and we have three guest artists taking part in this concert working around the theme of Taken. We have wonderful Jeremy Dutcher, who is from New Brunswick, is a fantastic singer and performer, quite internationally known in the community. He's from Mi'kmaq First Nations, and he's writing about the, the Taken of a language. I think there's something like only 500 speakers of Mi'kmaq and so he's going to be writing about that subject, and he's a wonderful performer as well. We have uh, Saskatoon-based uh, Lindsay Knight, uh, who is better known as Equal, who is a hip-hop artist. And so we're going to be actually, for the first time, we're going to be working with the hip-hop artists, and we're going to be uh, utilizing the hip-hop sounds by the choir. Mel Braun is going to be arranging that. And I'm writing a piece based on um, Martin Frobisher arriving in Baffin Island, in the late uh, 15th century and uh, taking uh, Inuit back to Europe is curiosities. So there's some pretty heavy uh, and thought-provoking ideas in this concert, but for us, it's a very, very important concert, and we're, we're really actually working very hard right now getting that concert ready for March. Winnipeg's art scene is known for being very collaborative. What are some of the notable collaborations between Camerata Nova and other musicians that have happened over the past years? I think one of our successes is, is our collaborative uh, approach to things. We try to work with, uh, we've worked with the symphony, we've worked with members from the chamber orchestra, we've worked with the contemporary dancers, worked with different styles and different uh, levels. Like I mentioned last year, we were working with klezmer musicians, Danny Kulak, and Victor and Myron Schultz, and that was a really success. Again, something we've never done before. I think it's a certain amount of uh, trust and artistic integrity that when we work with people, we there's a lot of respect and there's a lot of open and give and take, whether it's musicians that, are, uh, that we're used to or musicians we've never worked with before. Uh, I remember we, like several years ago, we worked with uh, Vince Fontaine from Indian City, and we that did a really successful concert. Um, I think, again, it's just the way that we approach it, and we really trust the musicians that we're collaborating with. And Winnipeg is a great city to collaborate with uh, people because people are so open here and willing to try new ideas, which I think is vital for an artistic community. In two weeks' time on November 26th and 27th, that's a Saturday and Sunday, Camerata Nova has its annual holiday program. Tell us a bit about Euronova that's coming up. This is a very exciting concert for many reasons, but one of the most important is we have a new co-director coming in to conduct her, and that's Vic Pancras who is a longtime outstanding uh, member of the choral community here. Of course, he's better known probably as the choral director at Westgate Mennonite Collegiate. He's also just finished uh, several years as the uh, conductor of Prairie Voices, and this will be his first concert with us. And we're very excited to have Vic on board. He's just a wonderful fellow, outstanding singer and musician. This Euronova is very uh, European-flavored, but uh, I can guarantee we're going to be doing some interesting things with uh, singers, also in new, new arrangements, and also an electronic group, 
called the uncalled for so it's very very unique and very different even for us because usually our christmas concerts are very very unique but uh this year much more so so we're very excited about this concert definitely sounds like between, you know, even just those two shows and some of the collaborations that you were describing, a lot of really unique spins on contemporary uh, Mm -hmm. vocal music. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what's exciting about for all for the singers and for the conductors and uh, hopefully in the end, the audience is that uh, we're willing to try new things, but we're actually quite open to if singers have an idea to do things, we have a lot of very unique talents within the group. We have a didgeridoo player. We have people that can sing vocal overtones. We have people that can act. So we try to utilize all those different uh, talents we have in a group rather than just the singing. So it is, uh, it's a lot of fun for us, actually. And I think that uh, we never really get tired of it. So there's always new ideas. And every year we think that, oh, it's, are we going to have ideas for next year? But we usually always do. We're actually right now just in the process of finishing off grant applications for concerts in two or three years' time. So it's always having to keep ready and for plan for several years ahead. What are some of your hopes for the future of Camerata Nova? I think that we're feeling ready to go to Europe for a tour, I think. It's very expensive to do that these days, of course. So I think right now what we're looking at is different ways to approach that. We're actually going to be in Ottawa this, uh, this June for the Canada Scene Festival, which is, of course, the celebration of Canada's 150th anniversary. And it'll be a, a six-week festival in Ottawa called Canada Scene, put on by the National Arts Centre Orchestra. So we'll be, we're actually taking our Taken concert to that festival. So that we don't get a chance to tour that often. Half our memberships are teachers, so it's hard for them to get the time off uh, to tour. But uh, I think in the future, in the next couple of years, that we will be looking at that very seriously. Uh, I really feel that uh, Europe would be a great tr- opportunity for our group. And I really feel that uh, it's sort of a, another stepping stone. We're, we never really know where we're going to go, but we certainly feel that we're, we're having fun. <laughs> That's great. Where can people go to get more information on Camerata Nova and any of the upcoming shows this coming season? We have a very uh, in-depth website, cameratanova.com. We have all, you can order tickets online, you can order recordings, you can find out more information about the directors, the singers. We have wonderful pictures. You can actually even order music that uh, I've written, other composers, Mike McKay, uh, Mike Schallenberg, uh, past and former members of Camerata Nova, have uh, arrangements there. So check it out on cameratanova.com. That's excellent. So Euronova is taking place Saturday, November 26th yes. and at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday, November 27th at 3 p.m. And both those shows happen at Crescent Fort Rouge United Church at 525 Wardlaw Avenue. And as Andrew said, if you want any information on those shows coming up or any of the shows in Camerata Nova's 2016-2017 season, you can visit camaratanova.com. Andrew, thank you so much again for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. Stay tuned to River City 360 throughout the year for more stories connected to Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017, a program led by the Winnipeg Foundation that measures the vitality of our community through research and surveys. For more information about Vital Signs, visit wpgfdn.org slash vital signs. Coming up after the break, Robert, I understand you visited L'Arche Tova Cafe earlier this week and talked to Jim Lapp. That's right. Yeah, we had a really great discussion about L'Arche Winnipeg, uh, what it does in the community. I had a really delicious chicken pot pie and a lovely grilled cinnamon bun for lunch and dessert, respectively. They're a fantastic cafe. If you you ever get the chance, go to L'Arche Tova Cafe because it is money. Yeah, it's a great atmosphere, great food. 
you can't go wrong. So be sure to check it out if you happen to be in Transcona. But before we get to your conversation with uh, Jim, we are going to play a little song. How about Acrobilic with Above the Stars right here on River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. As we mentioned before the break, earlier this week I had the chance to visit L'Arche Tova Cafe in Transcona. After a delicious lunch, I spoke with the executive director Jim Lapp to learn more about L'Arche Winnipeg and the cafe. L'Arche Winnipeg is part of an international organization called L'Arche. Um, it's all over the world in about 100... 45 communities in 35 countries and um, our mission is to make known the gifts of people with developmental disabilities so we provide um, residential services for 25 people in our homes six homes and two people are in apartments and then we also have the large Tova cafe which provides employment opportunities and also is a place where people can meet people with developmental disabilities and get to know their gifts you mentioned that it was an international organization how did it get started in Winnipeg specifically so in 1973, Jean Vanier, the founder of L'Arche in France in 1964, came to do a retreat up at Gimli, and um, some people were really impressed by the idea of L'Arche, and so they, the Oblate sisters gave us a home uh, here in Transcona, and from that we started up and in, invited eight people out of the institution in Portage de Prairie. 
And we're here at L'Arche Tova Cafe, which is a social enterprise. Tell us a little bit about how the cafe got started and what the mission of the cafe is. So about uh, 10, well, more than 10 years ago, a bunch of people said, wouldn't it be great to have a cafe or a coffee shop at L'Arche? And so a committee was formed and they did some, ex- they got some grant money and tried out doing some catering and things like that. And so when I became executive director uh, seven years ago, part of my mandate was to decide whether we're going to actually go ahead and do a cafe or not. So um, I started by getting, well, we got a business plan, a feasibility study and a business plan, uh, and then started looking for money, and doors kept opening. Some, some closed, but mostly they opened, and uh, people supplied us with money, including the Winnipeg Foundation, and gave us enough money to, well, we, we started by a long-term lease of the cafe, and we did the renovations, and we had startup money and got going. So since then, it's uh, we've continued to develop the cafe, and we employ people with a disability, and we also have other people who, it's, for them, it's a day program. They, and some people will volunteer as hosts people with a disability. We have Ross, who's a mem- long-term member of L'Arche, who gave up bowling on Saturdays to come and host at the cafe. He loves it, and people love him. And so they come back. I think they come to the cafe for much of the food is to see Ross. So, What are some of the challenges that people with uh, developmental disabilities face, and how does L'Arche kind of work to address that? You mentioned the cafe is one thing that kind of provides employment opportunities. What are some of the other ways in which L'Arche helps out with that? So people with developmental disabilities in Canada are typically socially isolated. They don't get out in the community and have relationships with, with people very much outside of their family. Um, so the first thing is that our assistants live in the houses with people, so it's their home too. So right away people have relationships in their home. And then we make a point, like we, Winnipeg Foundation recently provided us with some money for a wheelchair accessible van and that's to get people out in the community so people go out you know to shop restaurants all the things that all of us do out in the community and so this gives them an opportunity to do that and so people do have a real chance to meet the public when they're out in the community I mean it's really important and our mission is to make known the gifts of people with developmental disabilities which in the context of the world and, and even Canada is I mean people don't recognize their gifts in fact they're often people are often hidden away and not out there in the community so it's really great that Larsh provides that environment. The cafe is really kind of a, a perfect setting for that. I mean, even this is my first time here, and when you walk in, the atmosphere is so inviting, and it's building those connections and getting to know one another, and that seems to be what it's all about. And of course, what better way to bring people together than food, right? Yeah, and actually, um, one of the people who was going to initially fund uh, the cafe, who knows a little bit about L'Arche, said that L'Arche is a tradition of inviting people for supper. It goes back to Jean Vanier in 1964, inviting people for supper in France. And so that, that continues. That's a tradition of ours that continues. But it's also, it's very interesting too. Like we have people now who come and uh, one of our uh, supporters uh, who, who just works down the street, one, one, one Monday I was here and I was thinking, what, what's she doing? She's hanging around. She's, she's working on some stuff and by herself and stuff. But she was hanging around and I said, what's going on? And she was waiting to get her Albert hug, as she calls it, but Albert's here today, and, and you've met him, but and just she really appreciates getting that from him, and, and she really likes him a lot, and his welcome, and all that kind of stuff. So she recognizes the gift, and she's learned that from coming to the cafe. What would you say is your favorite thing on the menu here at L'Arche Tova Cafe? Well, I do like the blue-collar breakfast, which is our big, biggest seller, and it's, um, it's just bacon and eggs and stuff like that. And I also like bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwiches as well. And I appreciate also that we have we make our own bread, so I, I love, all our breads are really good. And we have a unique one called potato dill, and it's quite popular. There's people who try it, so anyhow. Try that sometime. That sounds very interesting. If people want to learn more about the work that L'Arche Winnipeg does in the community, um, or if they want to 
visit the cafe? Where can they go to get more information? We have uh, two websites. One is larshtovacafe.org, and the other one is larshwinnipeg.org, and people are welcome to go on there. There's quite a bit of information. And I already, as part of an international organization, I encourage people to go on Larsh International's website. They have some great videos, which are, I mean, I really recommend the videos. They're very, very touching, really well done. And Larsh Canada also has a website. So there's three, op well, four options, I guess, for websites to look up. And, and if people are interested in more information, yeah, there's, there's just lots there on all, on all four websites. So. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jim, for speaking with me today. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, we'll be joined via telephone by Bev Clegg. She's the executive director of the Selkirk and District Community Foundation. We're going to be talking about the upcoming 24-hour giving challenge that's happening this weekend, November 19th. Uh, but first, a quick musical break. How about uh, Joe Stafford with My Darling, My Darling, right here on River City 360. My darling, my darling, I've wanted to call you my darling for many and many a day. My darling, my darling, I fluttered and fled like a starling, my courage just melted away. Now once you kissed me and there's not a thing I'm sane enough to say except my darling my darling get used to that name of my darling it's here to stay you are my darling and fled like a starling my courage just melted away now all at once you've kissed me and there's not a thing I'm sane enough to say except my darling my darling Get used to the name of my darling. It's here, it's here to stay. Don't go away, my darling. Do, do, do. My darling's here to Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning, and we're now joined via telephone by a very special guest. We've got Bev Clegg. She's the executive director of the Selkirk and District Community Foundation. Bev, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Nolan. Thank you, Robert. So, what a great way to start a Sunday morning. <laughs> absolutely. So we, we, we're having you on because we want to talk about this coming Saturday, which uh, November 19th is the 24-hour giving challenge where all gifts made to the Selkirk Fund and to other community foundations in Manitoba are going to be stretched. Um, and that means every, for every $5 donation, 
they're actually going to make an extra dollar with that. But before we talk about the, uh, the, the 24-hour giving challenge, let's talk about the Selkirk and District Community Foundation. So maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been with the foundation, and what the foundation kind of does for Selkirk and area. Oh, thank you. Yeah, with the Selkirk and District Community Foundation is 21 years old, so we're pretty pretty young. We're yeah. proud to be young, uh, but we've had some great, fantastic growth in that 21 years. Our community is so much behind us in giving uh, back to the communities. The donors give to us, and therefore the, the monies go back, uh, of course, go back out again. Right. Um, the uh, foundation itself um, has an energy around it from volunteers that got us started 21 years ago that has extended uh, right uh, to this group of uh, board and, and leadership. Great. So how long have you been with the foundation, and, and what, what's it like being at the sort of at the head of a, of a community foundation up in Selkirk? Well, what's really fantastic, I've been here for 11 years, so I guess that makes me the preteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it's, what's really fantastic about being a part of the leadership is you're part of a team. So you've got a fantastic board uh, along with a great staff uh, here at the foundation that continues to grow. So, uh, And, of course, we're always supported by, by the community itself. Absolutely. Here. Yeah. So um, what, what are some of the, um, not issues, but just things that you're dealing with in Selkirk, and, and what are some of the sort of uh, issues that uh, you guys are tackling head-on in 2016 and, and coming up in 2017? Well, we're um, very proud to be, for the first time, doing vital signs. Oh, cool. Uh, mass uh, community report card that is um, resourced by uh, Community Foundations of Canada with a local flavor. Yeah. We've been wanting to do this for three or four years now, and now we're in the position where we can. And we just recently had our first uh, town hall meeting uh, on the 1st of November, kind of the kickoff to philanthropy month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had 90-plus uh, leaders, uh, community organizations, um, uh, just you know, citizens mm-hmm. uh, attend the meeting to identify some of perhaps the issues that will be brought up in the report. So we're really excited about this uh, Vital Signs 217, especially um, as Canada celebrates its 150. Very true. I- I'm sure that's going to really help to sort of inform your work in the coming year or two because I would imagine you, we don't know what we don't know, and until you can really kind of talk to the community and see what's really going on at a ground level, it's tough to, to inform your work in that way. Yeah, that's really well put. We think we may know, but it's really good to really know. And so this, this report's not going to only help us, but also other community leaders like our municipal leaders and the uh, local charities that are planning for better things for the community. Great. So let's talk about the Giving Challenge. The 24-hour Giving Challenge is coming up this Saturday, November 19th. Uh, how long has Selkirk participated in this, uh, this annual event? Yes, Nolan. We are three for three. Nice. So this is the third year we are full on board uh, again this year. So our donors, it's been so interesting because our donors have so embraced this idea. For sure. Uh, So the first year, you know, we, we invited them to come and see us, make an online donation or come and see us at, we had an open house. Uh, and so the next year, then when October came along, it was like, hey, are you having that Giving Day Challenge? Oh, perfect. Because we would like our donation to be stretched like it was last year. Right. Yeah. So um, we've been be able to kind of create, um, create an atmosphere of giving for that date. 
That's fantastic. So, um, why, 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 why do you think it's important for Selkirk and other um, community foundations in Manitoba so to to participate in a program like this? And you kind of mentioned it a little bit about inspiring the uh, your your potential donors, but why do you think it's important to participate? For any community foundation and donors within not only that that region or those communities, but for donors from coast to coast to that recognize. Um, their community, whether they grew up there or they did business there, mm-hmm. um, maybe went to school there, moved away, that type of thing. It provides a perfect opportunity to give back to your community, a community that you care for today, care for for the future. Absolutely. So what are you hoping that the Selkirk and District Community Foundation achieves this year when it comes to the uh, Giving Challenge? Well, we, you know what? We haven't had any of those kind of fundraising target goals. We yeah. didn't do that. But you know what? Bashfully, we will say we've been number one two years in a row. Ooh, so you got a title to defend. Yeah, and I think we're a little nervous because there's lots of keen groups out there, other community foundations that are knocking at our door. So, right. uh, yes, like I say, bashfully, we're, we were number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see what happens. Well, good <laughs> luck from River City 360. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's it kind of like to be a part of this sort of umbrella of foundations and and sort of this community of community foundations here in Manitoba? Well, it just, it always um, makes me say, wow, this is so Manitoba. So from coast to coast, there's community found, there's 191 community foundations coast to coast. Well, here in Manitoba, there's 50 plus alone. So it just is a perfect example how Manitoba not only gives hours of commitment to volunteering, but is really a leader in philanthropy mm-hmm. in our country. Yeah, so, it really speaks to the to, to the friendly Manitoba and the togetherness that we all kind of help each other out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what, for, for our listeners who maybe um, ha- haven't gone out to Selkirk in a while, what would you tell them about your, your area and, and about Selkirk in general? Well, Selkirk and Region, because our Selkirk is, or our region is, sorry, uh, Selkirk and the RM of St. Andrews and St. Clement okay. is definitely a place here for good. And, th- and that's our, our motto. Uh, a great place to come and visit, a great place to do some great shopping, uh, and a great place that has an abundance of charitable organizations doing good work. Uh, so we're and we're just like the 30 minutes from Winnipeg, so Perfect. we're just that short drive away to uh, come and stop in for for an afternoon of coffee and great food oh, and sounds new great. neighbors. <laughs> well, lots of positivity coming from Selkirk. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just wanted to wish you very uh, good luck coming up this weekend uh, for, on Saturday, and for anyone who has connected with Selkirk in the past, maybe gone to school there or grown up there. Uh, participate in the 24-hour giving challenge because all gifts made to the Selkirk Fund and to um, other community foundations in Manitoba are going to be stretched. For every $5 you donate, you're going to actually donate six because uh, there's a stretching goal there. So, uh, Bev, I want to thank you for coming on the uh, radio program and really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Nolan. Thanks so much, Robert. Have a great day. (music) 
Thanks so much, Nolan. Always great to hear about some of the wonderful things that are going on in my hometown of Selkirk. And for a lot of our listeners, there's a Manitoba city or a Manitoba town that's very close to their heart. And this Saturday is your chance. It's actually the perfect opportunity to help your hometown community grow. So on November 19th, on Saturday, that's this coming Saturday, the Endow Manitoba 24-Hour Giving Challenge takes place. Now what that means is that if you make a gift to the community building fund of your hometown community foundation, there are 54 in Manitoba, the Winnipeg Foundation will stretch all the gifts that are coming in. So for every $5 that's given, the Winnipeg Foundation will add an extra dollar to a maximum of $2,000 per community foundation. The Winnipeg Foundation is really hoping that all of the community foundations will be able to max out of that stretch money. Certainly it would be a wonderful thing to see the total way higher than last year's giving challenge. So Saturday is the day to do it in Dow Manitoba's 24-hour giving challenge. Help out your hometown community in Manitoba. The address to visit is endowmanitoba.ca. You can make your gift online at any point on November 19th. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning. And we're now joined uh, by telephone by a very special guest. We have Robert Hamilton. He's the co-coordinator of the Summer Indigenous Math Leadership Program. Uh, Robert, thanks for joining us. Yes, I'm glad to be here. So uh, this program, we, we actually spoke with Nick Tanchuk, who is uh, your co-coordinator, a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago on the show. Uh, and it's a program uh, at the University of Winnipeg's Wichawakanak Learning Center. But maybe for our listeners who missed the uh, earlier interview, just tell us a little bit about the Summer Indigenous Math Leadership Program and, and what it aims to do. Yeah, the uh, Summer Indigenous Math Leadership Program it uh, happens in the month of um, August for four weeks, and the first week um, deals with uh, training um, older youth to be mentors for younger youth and uh, to help them uh, increase their math skills and ability. The idea behind it is that uh, for many Aboriginal students, they are not um, at grade, and so what we try to do is um, spend a few weeks with them during the summer so that they can, when they enter their new grade, or that they can be at that level or uh, a bit um, beyond that. The idea behind it is to uh, provide uh, Aboriginal students with some time to work on their math so that it remains fresh in their memory when they return to school. So what, what exactly was your role um, during the four-week program? What did you do and, and how did you uh, contribute? Uh, well, for the most part, um, I was a, a, a cooperating teacher, or the uh, second-hand man uh, to Nick. And we split up the classes so that Nick took uh, some of the older classes, older students who were in, uh, for example, uh, grade 7 and grade 8, and possibly grade six, where I took the younger classes from, I think, like grade four to grade six. The focus is on math, but what I tried to introduce is uh, science, so that in the beginning of the morning, we did uh, math from the Jump Math program, and in in the afternoon, 
we would typically uh, try to do some science experiments. And from, because at the moment I'm still in uh, uh, finishing my education degree, and I had taken a few uh, courses prior to that, which tried to emphasize the need for Aboriginal students not just to um, focus on math, but also on science. The term that was used is STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and um, mathematics. Okay. So some some of the experiments that we did had to do with, um, there was a focus on uh, global warming, and one experiment we, we had like these uh, plastic containers with ice and we tried to mimic the uh, the effects of, of global warming. So, w- w- what has some of the response been from the kids when they experience this program and they uh, and they're learning all this stuff about global warming, about the math and stuff? How do, how are the kids responding? Uh, well, with the math, they um, sometimes it's difficult to to get uh, the the students to do the math, right. but. Um, after a while, they seemed to enjoy it. There was one time when uh, we had something planned, but they would prefer to do the math and we were working on fractions, which was uh, surprising at the time. But I guess it makes sense because the the, jap- the jump math program is uh, I find it very interesting myself. Just going through the work, it and uh, the students they seem to enjoy it also. I've noticed that a lot of um, math textbooks that are used, that there's a lot of, um, uh, a lot of reading. Oh yeah. And sometimes that, that reading is, is above their level so that it's difficult to, um, to understand what right. it's asking. Whereas with the jump math program, it's, it's, it primarily focuses on, on, uh, calculations and it uses examples that, um, are easy to understand without the use or the overuse of, um, of reading. Right. It probably seems like that would almost double the difficulty because not only are they concerned with the math part, but they also have to concern with, you know, reading these paragraphs upon paragraphs of, te- of textbook speech, right? Yeah, and that's what the one thing that we were learning in school was that uh, when we're doing our assessments, and especially with, with math, that we're not, we're looking for uh, specific skills that are Math-related skills. Not we're not testing them on their reading comprehension. So, what what has been uh, what progress or changes have you seen in some of the kids that have taken the program like before they came in versus how they ca- they came out of the program? What 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 changes have you seen in them? Well, I think that um, whether there was any progress or not is um, that's a difficult thing mm-hmm. to say. But uh, we do we provided um, like a. An assessment, or not an assessment, but a, a, a pre-assessment test to find out where they are, and then from that we tried to uh, we separated them into the uh, their groups or levels, and then um, worked from there. And afterwards, we provided a, a, a final test, and the test results basically was the same test, but with different um, similar questions, but different slightly changed okay. and that there was a, a, a there was an improvement between the, the first pre uh, pre-assessment test and then the final test very good what about the personality changes or do you spend enough time with them to sort of notice a change in their approach when they are approaching math or their attitude towards math and science 
Well, I saw it for some students who um, at first I didn't think that they would be uh, that they would enjoy doing math, mm-hmm. but I was surprised by a few times when they when they um, they actually asked for more math to continue doing more math when there was other kinds of activities being played. That's got to be a pretty big victory, I would imagine. I know I haven't personally asked for math in, in my teaching career, or in my uh, student career, but... Yeah, <laughs> I know I haven't either. So yeah. when they were asking they can, to do math, it was I was surprised. And as you say, it's it's encouraging. Because math, math is fun in the way that it's presented. It, it, if it's presented well, it can be something that's an incredible thing to do. For sure. Well, thank you very much, Robert Hamilton. He's the co-court co-coordinator of the Summer Indigenous Math Leadership Program at the University of Winnipeg's Wichawakanak Learning Center. Thank you very much for talking to us today. Yeah, thank you. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. Today we have the final installment in our coverage from The Gathering, an event held by the Canadian CED Network in Manitoba that brought together community builders in a variety of areas. While we were there, we spoke with Karen Joseph, the CEO of Reconciliation Canada and one of the event's keynote speakers. We asked her why it was important for all Canadians to be part of the conversation about reconciliation. And she told us that Harsha Walia, whose interview we aired on last week's program, said it best in her keynote address. Reconciliation really is a response to colonization. And given that colonization is not something that was created by Indigenous people, it's something that was created by the settler community coming into the country, it really is a shared responsibility that we have to move this movement forward. In Karen's keynote speech, she said that she wasn't always convinced that reconciliation could be achieved. I've always been somebody that wanted to make a difference. I've always been really committed to community and to community change and uplifting our people. I found when I first started the work, I really wanted to work within the system, within some of the systems that perpetuate a lot of these cycles. And and what I found was that I'm not built for that. I find it frustrating. I find it demoralizing. And, and it really was crushing my spirit. And so I got out of those systems, even though arguably I was quite effective in what I was doing. It, I didn't find it rejuvenating. And to be in something that's not rejuvenating when I'm living the realities of being Indigenous in this country simultaneously. You know, my aunt is is one of the murdered and missing Indigenous women from the Robert Picton farm. So coming from that background and, and being in a system that was so obtuse when it comes to the realities of Indigenous people and, and how to mitigate that, I did not embrace reconciliation when my father was talking about how do we get Canadians involved because from my perspective Canadians didn't care and were quite comfortable in their ignorance but what I found through working with him was that it was necessary to invite Canadians to participate in this conversation to give one another a safe space to speak those hard truths and to share our understanding of who we are as individuals and what our values are and what we aspire to and finding commonalities amongst our our common humanity. Karen mentioned that relationship building and weaving together communities will go a long way toward creating a Canada that's better for everyone. We always say that uh, one thing that was the legacy of the Indian residential school survivors was the truth of our history in this country. And that history is, is not known 
certainly not by Canadians in general. And it's surprising how few Indigenous people understand that history because there was such shame around it. People, people wouldn't talk about it. And all we knew was we found ourselves in these situations that were violent, that were unsafe, that were detrimental to our well-being, and we didn't understand why. And so having those dialogues is really, really important. So getting the understanding, building the relationships that we need to have to one another, and trying to create some kind of common vision for who we are as a country. And, and being able to put that care and that trust that we have for one another into some positive action. You know, that, that doesn't just benefit Indigenous people, but really benefits Canadians as a whole. Karen also emphasized the importance of ensuring Indigenous communities are part of the economic dialogue in Canada. It's especially important when we start thinking about the fact that traditionally Indigenous people were not impacted by the global economy because we were self-sufficient within our own lands. That was one of the things that was really frustrating for the Canadian government. They couldn't get us to become involved in the economy as it was laid out by the Canadian government because we had our own economies. We were our own entrepreneurs. We were hunters. We were fishers. We did all of these kinds of things that sustained our communities, and that was distinctly separate from the economy. But with the colonization and the, the influx of settlers and the, the overrunning of those lands, we can no longer sustain our own economy. And so we've got to find a way as Canadians to work together to make sure that everybody benefits and has uh, some semblance of shared prosperity. And while acknowledging relationships are important to overcoming racism and ignorance, Karen also noted that changing the outcomes in Canada is an important part of the journey to reconciliation. I would say find out your own history. Where do people come from? Why did, if you can, find out why people came to this country? What situation did they leave behind? We always talk about we're never going to be like our parents, right? That's a, that's a thing every teenager adamantly opposes. And yet we become those people. And the truth is like that for us from the places that we came from as well. We bring those values, we bring those beliefs, we bring those actions, and we unintentionally impact the people that originally lived here. And we're creating something that we don't necessarily want to recreate. And so the other, the other piece for me is knowing your own history and starting to have those dialogues about what are your values and what are your aspirations for this country. Thank you very much to Karen Joseph, CEO of Reconciliation Canada, for speaking with us at The Gathering. If you'd like to learn more about Reconciliation Canada, you can visit their website at reconciliationcanada.ca. Good morning and welcome back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning and we're now joined in studio by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons. He is a well-respected journalist in Winnipeg and Canada and well beyond and he is my favorite part of River City 360. Noah, thank you for joining us. Wow, what an intro. Hey, come on. <laughs> thanks for thanks the, for inviting me. It's the least I could do. So <laughs> we have you on every, the show almost every week mm -hmm. to talk about Winnipeg and, and it's through a unique lens. It's through the lens of Community News Commons, which is a citizen journal journalism project. So um, maybe just tell our guests again why citizen journalism is different and why it's important. Well, it's different because it's basically journalism by the people for the people, I guess you might call it. And 
it's also uh, stories that um, people like to tell from their neighborhoods. And so uh, I don't, as an editor, I don't really tell people what stories to tell. They come up with the ideas, and, and then I help them tell those stories. And these are multimedia stories. You know, they're uh, articles, photos, video, audio. Uh, we also do some training as well. And uh, I help people um, basically uh, build their capacity as uh, communicators. And it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting community. It's very diverse, and um, it's not your traditional media, but it's not supposed to be traditional media. It's, um, it's sort of a conversation that uh, our community is having on the pages, on the virtual pages of communitynewscommons.org. It's, it's, it's not your traditional um, angles a lot of times. You That's know, correct. You mentioned a whole bunch of different sort of types of stories, and I understand that CNC recently has just had an influx of reviews and sh- people going to local shows and bands are coming through town and a lot of reviews and stuff are happening, but tell me about um, this Red Hot Chili Peppers thing, because they're coming to town too, but uh, there's a CNC reporter who is taking a little bit different as we mentioned a different angle kind of coming at this tell me yeah uh, red hot chili peppers are coming in may so it's not for a little while except they're a very popular band a lot of people like them and their music is is um you know it's it's um it's well known uh all over the world uh and our uh, reviewer ann martin who um, takes in a lot of shows and does a lot of reviews she's a a terrific writer she has a dilemma and she calls it the red hot chili peppers dilemma because she likes the music she wants to go to the show but she came across an article in a uh, los angeles publication publication that asked the question can you be a feminist and still love the red hot chili peppers and it had to do with some of the misogynist attitudes that the band espouses once in a while lyrics and and the lyrics and the and some of the different things that they you might see in their videos it's you know um you could argue whether or not it's it's you know, how misogynist is it? But uh, certainly their views aren't, um, you know, traditional uh, views that uh, are sort of fine, upstanding. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're a rock band, right? So she discusses this dilemma in her article, and she tries to figure out, you know, like, for example, she loves Led Zeppelin, but, you know, maybe some of their lyrics aren't that great. Or she loves Motley Crue, or she went to the Motley Crue show, and she says you'll never go to a Motley Crue show ever again because of the the lyrics. They are unapologetic with their... um how they treat women, let's say, or how they sort of well, celebrate that culture. Exactly. And so when it comes to a negative portrayal of women uh, in music or in art, and yet you like the music, uh, the question is, can you actually, can those two coexist? And she doesn't know what the answer is. And she, she wonders, is it black and white? Uh, do you, you know, do you go to the show? Do you denounce it? Yeah. Uh, are there any gray areas? And can talent sort of outweigh the wrongdoings? Um, you know, Led Zeppelin's okay, but Motley Crue isn't. Right. Uh, where do you, you draw know, the line? Where do you draw the line? So it's a great little That's uh, an interesting debate. discussion, yeah. And, yeah, it's a great discussion, and she calls it the Red Hot Chili Peppers Dilemma, and that's by Ann Martin on communitynewscommons.org so this week. go to cncwpg.org and check out that article. Maybe leave a comment. What, what are your thoughts on uh, the reconciliation between um, misogyny and sexism and the art that is portraying it? It's pretty pretty. Deep deep conversation pretty interesting conversation so Mm -hmm. it's cool to see uh, articles like that published on cnc yeah it sure is so at the end of our time together noah i Mm. i've we've started doing this uh, new segment a while ago where you bring in a local artist or something that maybe our listeners haven't heard before but 
is going to be worth their time. So uh, what have you got for us this week? Well, this week I have a band called Duotang. Uh, I love the name. I love the Duotang. band. Duotang. Duotang. Yeah. Duotang. It's two guys, basically, a drummer and a guitar player. And um, I remember watching Duotang probably about 20 years ago. Wow. And uh, they, um, they hit the uh, indie rock scene um, back then. And... Um, this is their this month will uh, actually yesterday they just released their first album in 15 years oh wow they had a hiatus of about uh 12 years i guess it was and they were a hometown favorite um but then they were reunited in 2014 for a special show in vancouver and uh, this was at the request of uh, mint records and they followed it up with a sold out winnipeg show and then they've hit plenty of stages throughout this past summer including the td winnipeg international jazz festival and uh, they played other uh, cities and other venues and um, they really have a terrific sound when you consider the fact that it's just the two of them yeah and um, like i say i love the sound i love the name and uh and this album is actually really really good cool. so i would suggest you check it out online or or uh, go uh, drop some coin for a CD uh, and what I'd like to do is play a song from their new album called New Occupation this is Duotang with their song Nostalgia's Advice on River City 360 CJNU 93.7 Your point is louder than clear Perhaps you shouted it right into my ear Yes the music is boring and the place is no fun It's not been the same since back in 2001 I totally That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for listening, and a huge thank you to all of our guests who joined us in studio and for talking to us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can do so online. Visit us at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the show. Please give us a call. Our listener line is open 24-7, so just leave us a message at 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can leave us a comment about the show, request a song, or suggest a topic that you'd like to hear discussed on a future show. Again, that is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday. Oh,